I'm rolling. I've always tried like losing connections, right? Like, like you know, losing touch with people. Yeah, it's it's tricky because everybody's online. Yeah. You know, and that's where I, you know, I was talking with Ray Lee about this the other day. He's like. I, I kind of didn't want I, I didn't I wasn't on social media for the longest time because I was afraid of the manipulation of the algorithm and you know I was really like I don't I don't like the way social media is you know psychologically engineered to manipulate people and but but there's no but it was like but now that I want to actually find community it's like that's where everyone is that's how I can figure out what's going on you know and so there's almost no choice if you want to like yeah. connect with people but to be on social media which is kind of fucked up well I feel like the only thing I'm capable of doing social media is watching which is like watching for groups posting activity like no tomorrow uh-huh. you know but like as far as like having any kind of like actual engagement you know or like keeping up with like any kind of through thought that I need to like check regularly like you know like um group chats or whatever. Uh-huh. You know, like, if I need to be checking this regularly to understand what's going on, then that's just not happening. So, <laughs> it's just, I've already lost touch with, even though I was super interested in your bird group, or your, not bird group. Well, I haven't done anything with that either. That's probably why nothing showed up. Because it wasn't I like a bird group. What was it? It was like I, I, music. I think I, call, I, call, music I, call, I called it, um, uh, so, like, uh, Musical biosemiotics uh, and deep time in, at the dawn of the Anthropocene. <laughs> That's what I call yeah. it. Yeah, it was a really interesting subject, and I was like trying, like, okay, if nothing else, I can like check this, and then just, you know, got distracted with other stuff. Yeah. Just, I don't know if I need to like keep trying to like engage with these spaces, or if I need to just. Well, it's, it's admit that it's just not something I can do. It's just hard to. It, 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 it's, there's so much all the time. It's just like it's like that conversation I had with Ladana, you know, about this. Like, there's there's too much out there in the world to engage with everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, you, like, you have to make choices, I yeah, guess. And like you're worried. Then they're gonna away. Exactly and right. Like, that's kind of like an issue because it's like you're trying to like hold on to everything, grasp everything, and right? Let anything slip away. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it does it's like, right but it's like it's, it's such a gray area because like if some things need to slip away and you need to not hold on so tightly right but then also like if you don't some things are worth holding on to and need to for the moment well in time 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 a sacrifice of time is required for many things you know what I mean? And there's never enough. It's like I went to this... God, I was at the show at No Tomorrow last night and this bass player, he was like one of the fucking best bass players I've ever seen. Like he was a monster. Like in some of the stuff he was doing, I was like, holy shit, I need to practice. <laughs> you know, it's like, I wish I could do that. And But it's like, but like, you know, I'm at, I'm at work all day, all week. And then on the evenings, you know, I like, I... I like these communities I'm a part of. I'm like engaging with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, okay, I could be practicing. I could be writing. <laughs> you know, you have to you have to figure out where where you draw the boundaries of your time. Well, it's like you feel like you're drawn in all, all these different directions, and it's like 
almost like it's kind of pulling you to pieces a little bit. Yeah, right. Well, because, like for the longest, for, for a really long time, I didn't engage socially at all, and I poured everything into developing some of those skills, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to do that forever, you know? Yeah, I want to have a life, too. Yeah, and it's like, I, lately I've just been thinking of like, well, are these like creative things like really even like that important like it doesn't if you think about it it really does not matter <laughs> that I'm like right what's important right creating all this stuff like, like it, is it really that important so then it's like it's really just a thing that you're dedicating your time to because it's I don't know fulfilling in some way because you feel driven to do it so then it's like if you don't suddenly if you don't feel driven to do it why hold on to it so hard but then it's like I think about not doing it I feel this like fear you know like oh my, I'm you know, not gonna ride I'm not gonna paint it comes back to but it, that, it comes back to this this conversation with LaDonna it feels like because I I was like expressing the same anxieties and I was like you know like we in, in order to escape we feel this compulsion to attach to the eternal or things that don't yeah. change or something you know and it's like just just let go you know, just just play, you know, and and let it be play, and you know, and that's it. Dude, that brings the, uh, the age-old problem of what is even enjoyable, what is even fun, what do you even want to do, right? Like, <laughs> right. I get. You know, Priscilla was saying that the other day. We have to we have to uh, learn how to play. Yeah. You know, because we're not we're not necessarily. Uh, like it's actually a, 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 just as much of a skill that you develop to learn how to play <laughs> than it is to do some of these other things. Like we take play very seriously <laughs> in the surrealist group. How quickly you can like take the play and, and just part of your brain is trying to make it into something that's work, you know, like right. develop this into, you know novel or something you know yeah right. that's exactly right that's why i like to kind of draw this sacred space around the games and it's like ah yeah they are they are they don't need to be you know modified or used used later you know like dreams or like people are always telling me write down your dreams make a dream compilation and then like i feel guilty that i don't want to do that but like my dreams are the place where i it's fun right like sometimes it's the only part of my life that feels fun it's the only thing I have to look forward to. And it's like, I can go in my dreams and I can, you know, enjoy myself and have fun. So it's like, why would I want to, like, force that into, like, yet another task I have to set for myself? When every, every task I set for myself ends up feeling like uh, self-flying. <laughs> but I, I think part of it, I think, and I, I don't know if... if you guys can relate to this too it's like I think part of it is that we like keep striving for another peak height of experience Ooh, yeah. you know what I mean so it's like we're, we're trying to play but we're trying to be, like play it's like a professional baseball player that still does it for the love of the game <laughs> you know what I mean like we're trying to get to that level of play where we're uh, like getting the thrills of the the true chicks in the high peak experience you know, of flow states, you know, which is like impossible to get to unless you do a lot of work on the front end. But it's like when you're in the middle of the execution of it, you're at like this height that's like 
impossible to get otherwise or something like that and there's a lot of front-loaded work on it so maybe we're just like chasing that dragon yeah there's always like sometimes when you play these like surreal games there's this gem that you un- unexpectedly find but then like you come to expect that or want that and look for it specifically and and i feel like when you are looking for it specifically you're almost guaranteed not to find it <laughs> funny well that's that's the that's the reframing to like I've been doing a lot of thinking about improvisation you know lately and that I think that maybe that's part of like listening being the first step to good improvisation you know like not trying to not your first thought not being to put something forward you know your first thought not being like this is what I want first thought being like listening to the space the living space of what's happening and then not putting anything out until until it feels right and it serves the it serves the it feels like the right time you know well i feel like that's kind of my natural position at doll's head or not doll's head good word no tomorrow gallery Uh uh-huh is like you know listening and contributing where I can to the threads that appear. Like, that's the thing I enjoy about it. You know? And... No. I guess that is kind of applicable. I'm just not sure how. (laughs) Like... I feel like what has made No Tomorrow special is because it is a facilitator of that. Yeah. I guess it's because you have to have a kind of a group. Yeah. The egregore. A group of people who you've developed a language of communication with. Yeah. You know, who you kind of know, where you've come to know. Of course, then again, there's always like new people too that we've, you know. Yeah. So I guess it's a... Or in the environment is right. kind of like set those standards and it's almost you know kind of become its own sort of force and personality so I feel like a lot of times when new people do come in like maybe they don't sense it right away but I mean I feel like it makes itself known like <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yeah yeah that's true I've certainly, I've certainly gone through a series of metamorphoses since I've been engaging with the egregore. And so, so many times, like when you're, it's your like personal create, creative output, and you're like, sometimes you just feel like, why am I even doing this? What's the point? Uh-huh. It doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> So why am I doing this? Uh, and you just feel so lost. Maybe like it's the isolation and the sort of like maybe you don't have to necessarily like open yourself to up to a or other humans. Maybe there's a way to open yourself up generally to the threads of what's around you, like just in the world right kind of being in relationship with the world rather than being sort of stuck in your own sort of uh, inner inner microcosm right yeah 
Well, you know, that's one of the things I was thinking about this album this summer, you know? And I have all this material that I've, like, accumulated before I... Like, before a year ago when we met, <laughs> you know? And, and I'm, I'm looking, and I'm like, well, I was going to use this and turn this into an album, but, like, now that I've... Now that I've been changed by all these people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm not sure that I have the same things to say that I did before. You know, and maybe I need to rethink the entire thing. Which is interesting because I feel like sometimes, like, thinking about your creative output less can be useful. Like, being rash, putting things out there quick. Because I feel like what you want to say is always changing. So, like, maybe it's good to just get things out. Mm. So, you're saying what you need to say now. And then later you can say what you need to say later. But yeah. Like some things take a long time. That's true. So then, like, how do you reconcile, like, the convers- like, the differences between what you needed to say then and the things you need to say now? Right, and it's, it's fashioning a body of time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a... When you get into longer stretches... I mean, that's one of the things, like, when I... With this, with this kind of record that I've been keeping, you know? A lot of these messages to myself are, like, explicitly framed as throwing up, like, communication lines between the past and the future. So it's like, I'll say it literally, I was like, this is, this is me talking to, talking to future you, you know? Blah, 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 blah. Hope you throw another hole up so that we can keep these lines connected, <laughs> you know? further out but but yeah I guess well, you maybe like the conflict between is also a part of it like right because yeah, you don't know who the future you is going to be right yeah. and you don't know how they're going to react to to that person you know that's like one of my favorite in fact you know when I was when I was in New York and I was talking to Mimi Johnson um, Robert Ashley's widow and I was like these operas meant so much to me, and uh, she was. She said one of the most important lines in the whole thing was the, like at the very end, it had to do with a letter that his friend gave to him, and the part of the letter that was important was, "Dear George, what's going on? I'm not the person I used to be." Mm-hmm. What is it that stays the same? Right, yeah, right. That's still there, right? Yeah. Yeah, me too, for sure. There, there are plenty of like adult phases of myself, teenage phases of myself that I don't feel much of a connection with. So I feel like I always feel a connection with myself as a child. And also the things that were important to me still give me the same emotional responses that they gave me. <laughs> right. Well, like, I've become preoccupied with VHS cassette tapes. <laughs> you know. Wow. What, so what's it, what's it, what, how did, who, who did this? <laughs> um, well, there's a lot of people who did 
Well and through Dolls Head Trail, South Boardwalk, take the first left. Please respect the concept and add only items found in the park to the DH Trail. Did you ready? Yeah. Thanks for this. Yeah, I remember uh, the, the the sorry. I remember that little that little circle back there from uh, yeah. from Hazelnut the Crying Clown. Wait, the wedding gown to marry the moon? Yeah. Who was marrying the moon? Uh, Whoever, like... Uh, Megan was marrying <laughs> Okay. You, you remember it better than me. Yeah, I think it was... Um, it was um, we called it the moon consort, because I ended up calling it that. Uh, so Ron Sikowski didn't like the marriage thing. Uh, so we... Wearing a gown, become the cotton sword. Oh, we used uh, one of those dowsing rods. Uh, okay. To to decide who was the yeah. Oh yeah yeah. Yeah, but Megan was wearing it that day for the film. Oh yeah, Ron Sikowski won. Yeah, he was. Uh, we doused. We used the dowsing rod. And we had like different objects that were representing each person. Their names. Sorry, this was a while ago. <laughs> and it had their names under it, and then. And Megan wore the garment and used the on to decide who was going to be the moon's consort. But she, I think she was representing the moon. So she was wearing the gown. And uh, she had painted her face with like white paint. And she had moons on her forehead. And uh, she had just done it with like a regular acrylic paint. And she had to go to work with it. And we went back to our old apartment on Seminole Ave. She was trying to wash her face, and she could not get this stuff off for the life of her. And she still had, like, some, like, white flakes and moon shapes on her forehead when she went to work. <laughs> like Catholics on Ash Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> With the smudge on their forehead. It was my favorite. Actually, Me no, too. Lent was always a big deal in my family. Like you know. Friday. Actually, what, what did you grow up? Um, what are they? Uh, Lutheran. Lutheran. But um, I like the one. Bartender. Good Friday was the one where you left <laughs> in the silence, right? I think so. I mean, I, it's always very, uh, very solemn, you know. Yeah, I think that I liked that one because they would all do turn the lights out. You'd have your candles. And then at some point you'd blow out your candles and everyone would leave in silence. And to me, it always felt like that was emblematic of the one, the parts of church I actually enjoyed, which were the ritual parts. Right. Did you, um, what was the Easter ritual like in the Lutheran church? Because I know in the Catholic the sunrise. church it's sunrise. Yeah. So that one was never or, uh, as... No, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Christmas Eve. I don't know. There's this one. Oh, yeah, the candles. Yeah, the candles. The can- that was always the big yeah. one because we would always start in outside with a big bonfire. 
Um, yeah, and the priest would be around, like, in the front of the bonfire. And uh, everyone would have candles. And there would be a big speech, and he would light the first candle, and then that candle would light every other candle. Yeah. And, everyone, and it would spread all over the place, and then everyone would use those candles to walk into the dark church. You know? It was just, it's quite a stunning ritual. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And, like, the sort of more traditional songs and the sort of more ritual-feeling rituals uh-huh. were the things I liked. What's that? What's, what's, is there something in the hole? What's in the box? Mystery. I'm trying to open the door. Uh-huh, that's funny. <laughs> uh-huh. thing that's in the hole is the thing that's always in the hole. Which is what? <laughs> well, we, were, we were talking the other day about what you originally liked so much about, like, Dekirico and stuff. Is yeah, the first paintings surrealist I connected to was Dekirico yeah. because this this sort of sparse environment. It's like... I, I'm, not, I'm unfamiliar. I yeah. It's the, the, like, buildings and landscapes that are very sparse. And, like, you see, like rows of windows or rows of like doorways okay and it's very geometric and then you'll have one lone figure of like a child playing with the wheel or something uh-huh. and like that connected so much like when I was a kid I would have these moments where like I would look up at like very sparse architecture or uh-huh. like particularly there is this really tall retaining wall behind the Taco Bell <laughs> and this wall as mundane as its surroundings were gave me this like feeling in my chest that I couldn't like really describe you know it was mysterious the, a wall a retaining wall behind the Taco a, Bell it was just a big retaining wall <laughs> behind the Taco Bell and it made, filled me with this like feeling of like mysteriousness the, the that makes me think of the Winkies yeah. behind the Winkies uh-huh. <laughs> you oh. know remember that in Mulholland Drive oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. like they're talking about their dream and then referring to the fact that there was something in the dream that happened yeah you know and then they go behind the Winkies and like or like old post offices, for instance, and you go in those rooms and it's nothing but those little boxes and it gives you like a feeling or it always gave me a feeling. It's hard to describe, but it's very like mysterious. It's like, yeah. And, and I was asking, or like a row of pines that have been replanted and they're in a row and there's nothing much in between. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like a, it's like, um, yeah. But it's yeah. Like Stephen actually described it. I was like, Stephen, what is that feeling? What is it? It's the emptiness that fills itself with mystery. <laughs> and I was like, that's like such a good description of the feeling. That, but I've like been feeling this since I was a small child. And the only time I found it referenced in anything, or the first time I found it referenced in anything, was a decurical painting. I guess they consider them like dreamscape, but that doesn't quite fit. It's not, because you do see those kinds of landscapes in dreams. That's not the only place you see them. Does the does the does the constructedness of it have something to do with it? Because the the images you were talking about all seemed like deliberate constructions rather than the uh, products of proliferation. Well, yeah, it's something you know like, what I mean. Like you look at this landscape, mm-hmm. and it's profuse. Right. It's as our people on websites would say, it's granular. <laughs> sure. And. And then you come across... Yeah, like the bark on this tree. You know what I mean? It's not on a straight line. There are no... There are no... Uh, 
you know, uh, measured numbers, but but yeah. but there's I mean, but there's it, still it a sense a, of it has a mathematical right, nature, but, but, but it's, it's fractal. Yes. And it, and it proliferates. It's, it's not. It's, it's not, not like geometric. Right. It's not square. Yeah. It's uh, you know. It's funny. I was listening to a podcast the other day. They were talking about team circle versus team square. You know, like the analog versus the digital. So you can see, I like them both. Right. Um, and I think that the point, the plates, point, points in the world where they intersect are the points that give me that feeling. Right. You see a bunch. That's of That's the pine dialectic, trees. right? The... You see a bunch of pine trees, and they're in an ordered row. And it gives you that feeling. Oh, I love this one. This is great. <laughs> Breaking the fourth wall, it says. The internet is a buffet without a sneeze guard. Nature looking back. I wonder if there's anything... Oh, you ever you ever had these viewfinders? Yeah. I loved those things. I took the pieces you threw away and put them back together by night and day. How this <laughs> does make believe this is a black trans am <laughs> I feel like places like that don't just exist because humans have put made them exist right like you, the, the, the example of the pine trees is one where humans have like made it happen because they've clear cut and then they've replanted right but I think it happens like I've seen moments like places like that <laughs> Just in nature. Like where? A tundra? Maybe. But, but still, I don't see any squares on a tundra. It's just flat. I mean, maybe if you the think beach. of the horizon. Yeah, the horizon itself is being a flat, you know. Yeah, or, I mean, it's not exactly, it's not actually flat, but it looks flat. Sure. And also, like, the beach. Like, when you have, like, the ripples. And they're so, like smooth you know like the ones like where the water has come up and it's receded uh-huh and it's very smooth and it's just so like even with the ripples or like um i don't know the moon those still seem like sinusoidal objects though mm. you know i don't i haven't seen you know that's not square well that, it's not it doesn't have to be square that's you the know. thing is like Like, the pine trees are only square because pine trees grow tall and straight. Well, like, I was talking about the the, 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 um, the planting pattern being the square thing because it's a straight line. Whereas in the woods, they wouldn't you have straight lines. Yeah, but even though you see one pine tree by itself growing, like, straight up. That's know. true, but it's still gnarled and it fractals out, you know, with the branches. Like, pure straight lines, like a pole, a telephone pole. You're not going to see that, you know? The straightness is, I guess, what I'm talking about. That's that's more, which would be the horizon. That that would be a straight thing for sure. Yeah. You know, if you're looking out to the edge. Well, the only thing I can think of in nature. Repetition. Say what? Part of it for me is the repetition. <laughs> like the straightness, but also like the repetition. Like in the Dakirka paintings, you would see like the repetition of the window over and over again. Yeah, I need to I need to see those paintings. I need to look at them window over and over and like sometimes in nature you'll see like that kind of like repetition like a line of ducks in a like the other day I saw like just on the ground a row of 
sweet gumballs, just in a row. Oh, there's the one from your yeah. film. It's weird how long stuff stays here. You know? It moves around, though. Like, it moves around. But, like, we've been coming here for probably seven years, you know, and I still see the same objects. They're on the other end of the trail. Do people, do people bring things here? Or? No, you're not supposed to. I mean, I think sometimes people do, and I feel like it's a little bit of a gray area. Like, honestly, it doesn't like make me mad or anything if people bring stuff. Like, I don't think it's a huge deal, but I think it's kind of cool that for the most part it's, like, you know, finding stuff and rearranging it. But who was it that, that like, conceived of the thing? Uh, do you remember the guy's name? I don't know, it was just a guy who, like... Just some guy? coming out here and like just kind of yeah. trying to clean it up a little and we, um, there's a back trail here I guess before we could go down the um, the reason it's called Dalsa Trail is there were a lot of dolls Wait, I thought it was going to the back route there's Wait. still like 50% of the Dalsa Trail oh yeah and um because it was like a brick factory, um, which is why it's on the brick. And a lot of the people who worked in the brick factory, you know, lived around the brick factory. And, and the children had like dolls, and there were a lot of dolls. And I just said dolls like three times in a row, and it really annoyed me. Dolls? Yeah, I just said dolls. 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 Two turntables and a microphone. And some dolls. Dolls. What's the differential? Yeah, I, yeah obviously, like, repetition is kind of a hallmark of human, like, production, I guess. If your soul is laid bare, darn your socks. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this person who indignantly said, okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned that another book that's like definitely on my list to read. Because, you know, I've, I've been like digging into Deleuze and Guattari. Deleuze's like big philosophy book is literally called Difference and Repetition. Like, mm. you know, the idea of like repetition, but like difference in repetition, you know, is a, is a very interesting territory of exploration and there is something very human about it but there's something very like lifelike yeah there's there's something in life about that too you know well and i think that like what's so like when you do see those like replanted pines it looks like a forest but it's like an expression of something that already exists in any forest laid bare you know it's funny it's Say that again, because I, I got distracted and I was... So, I don't know what I just said. Um, well, let me tell... Let me, let me, maybe this will this will spring. Because I was just thinking, my my uh, my grandfather and grandmother in Hazelhurst, we were talking about, they planted pine trees. Um, but their house is a big... They have like an acre of land, right? And there's woods there too, right? But there's a separate area that's just like the pine tree grid. You know, and then there's the woods itself, and I would go. You would go play as a kid. Like I would be in there playing in the the property, 
and it was much more fun to play in the woods than to play in the pine tree grid. <laughs> you know, the pine tree grid was kind of boring, everything was there, but the woods had like all these little nooks and crannies and ins and outs and, you know, you could hide places and... But there's something sinister about that pine tree grid, right? Yeah, right, exactly but there's right. there's also something sinister about the forest. Right. So that's why <laughs> it's a different I think kind of... <laughs> is like, but I think that it's like, it's an expression of possibly something connected to the thing that is also sinister in the regular forest like the natural forest it's just more obvious and more connected to our species in particular yeah well, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's yeah. the thing like it's just like an ant like an ant hill you know uh, you know that would that would be specific like they the, yeah you see dirt all over the place but if you see an ant hill you know that that species is involved and there are maybe like footprints of human beings in particular you know that give us a feeling because of how our minds work but the thing is the trees also regulate themselves like they don't like a tree drops a bunch of seeds and if like it's too close then a lot of times the parent tree will kill one of the saplings and cause the other one to grow yeah the forest does regulate how many trees and their well, positions? Yeah, but we're, so we're talking about reproduction, but I guess we're trying to, to figure out where the line is drawn between reproduction as such and domestication, right? Like, domestication is the question, right? Because those yeah. the pine tree grid is domesticated, but the woods is wild. Yeah. But there's still an organization to it. Right, exactly it's right. It's just possibly, like... It's... It's like... An organization, but it's less obvious because it's multiple species organizing themselves together respectfully. Right, which is, I guess, we where we come back to this. It feels like a lot of the the um, the emotional pull of of, of uh, a lot of the the people in art that I've been drawn to have like a come. It feels like there's a, a preoccupation with a rewilding, maybe of some kind, or like bringing, bringing that back into the conversation. It feels like maybe there's too much ordered control. The thing is, is I love those uncanny spaces. Where where there's like it's like extremes of both, <laughs> like the like in a, in, a, in a very frenzied dialectic, <laughs> you know, yeah, the very like, wild stuff and the very controlled stuff. and a strong emotion but then also there's there's something like about those places like the retaining wall behind the Taco Bell in Columbus, Georgia uh-huh. it's not uh, exactly aesthetically appealing do you know what I mean? it was it was utilitarian but the reason it was not made aesthetically appealing was it's through neglect like humans neglected to make this thing aesthetically appealing and there was something like it was laying something bare it was expressing something that lies underneath all of the aesthetic bark of how we normally construct buildings and cities and places for us to inhabit I don't know if that makes any sense <laughs> What 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 is the thing that 
is being laid bare in that I'm case. I'm not sure. And I that's think what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to figure out. But I think that that's what's so compelling about it is because it's expressing something. It's expressing the something that the, the stand of pine trees is expressing. Because I think we try to, like, most of the time, we try to create, like, uh, we try to replicate the granularity and the intricacies and the tasteful randomness of nature. Uh-huh. You know, the tasteful, like, decoration and randomness of nature. Right. The, the randomness of nature isn't really random. Right. It's fractal. And neither is what we produce, but we try to replicate that sort of surface appearance of randomness that is aesthetically pleasing. But sometimes people neglect to do that. Like, they neglect to do that on this big, hideous, ugly, blank retaining wall behind Taco Bell in Columbus, Georgia. And they neglected to do that with the pine tree stand. Because it was pure utilitarian. Right, so you're seeing the other side, whatever... What, oh, it's, that's the... But it's the infrastructure. You say mysterious, but that seems foreboding. Like, it's... Like, but it's like foreboding it, in, like, a very, like... Looming, you know... But it's also in a way that makes your chest expand. It's, in, it's, it's foreboding in an expansive way. Not the retaining a, wall? Yes. Not in a way that shrivels you. What about a what about a what about a brutalist architecture building? You yes. know? The same kind of thing? I mean you know, like like or a massive more, or just an obelisk, like a massive just imagine a tower with that's just a piece of stone and that's, that's it. It's more intentional. It works better when it's not intentional, when it's from, comes from neglect to cover its tracks. So the brutalist architecture is specifically trying to say this thing. <laughs> right. Which means it expresses it less. Oh, so it's like the 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 retaining wall is like unintentionally natural in that it n- neglected to try and hide its tracks, so it just is what it is, or something. Maybe. Honestly, like I've been trying to like suss this out for a while. <laughs> we, um, Shit. Should we try the swamp uh, track? Or I mean, something came from there, okay. so it's probably fine, right? It said do not enter, it didn't say do not exit. Like some creature that's really good at camouflage that you can finally see or something. I don't know. I don't know, I've been trying, I feel like I've been trying to like engage with this question and figure this out since I was a kid. But I had no like, I feel like it's always been the most, like, obscure question. Yeah, I feel, like, lost in the mist now. Yeah. But, like, when I was a kid, I didn't even have any kind of, like, way of, like, even beginning to ask the question about what this thing was. The retaining wall behind the Taco Bell. The, the retaining wall behind the Taco Bell in Columbus, Georgia. I'm going to have to... <laughs> if I drive, drive past Columbus, I'm going to have to find this place. Pay, pay homage to the landmark. I feel like, you know, a lot of times architecture is a really good expression of whatever that feeling is. But it's not just architecture. Only and the day I saw this tree. And its leaves were growing in such a way that it looked like the same leaf over and over again. They were all facing one direction. It was like pixels. Because this morning it was like a pixelated tree. Huh. It was really...
I'm certainly not trying to say that we live in a simulation. Because I feel like... No, it's, not, it's not beyond the realm of possibility, in I mean, my mind. Like, I don't think it's like, you know... It isn't, yeah, fine, it's a possibility. But it's as much of a possibility as a lot of other things for me. Sure. But, but, but part, of, <laughs> part of the surrealist ethos is like, you know... <laughs> You know, remaining open to these yeah. these uh, unlikely possibilities, or these uh, I shouldn't say unlikely, these counterintuitive. Yeah, it just feels reductive to me. It, it's not that it feels like improbable in like a like. Sorry, are we going the wrong way? Oh, we should walk out on the pier. Can we walk out on the pier? Yeah, that's what we're going for. That would be beautiful. Oh, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Simulation. You don't think. I mean, something along the lines of self-simulation, perhaps. Yeah. I just don't believe, I just, well, I can't say I really believe in anything, but I just don't give a lot of personal credence to an outside simulator. Sure. I'm, I'm getting closer and closer, it feels like, to reaching the threshold of accepting the fundamental mystery of everything. Yeah. I mean, I feel like things you know, got a heck of a lot less complicated when I just decided I didn't really need to believe anything. Maybe. Or, like, I, mean, I decided that, like, what a person believes doesn't really matter. The thing that matters more is like the things they experience and like giving like respecting your experiences even if at one point you might have thought that they were irrational <laughs> maybe don't read too much into them but still respecting them and valuing them depending on the intensity of the experience that can be easier or harder true <laughs> you know especially if it's a very strange experience yeah i mean say you get a weird message Sometimes the message is the oh. thing, and it's what? not. It's just an empty out voice. I'm gonna put something in there. No, I have. Yeah. Kangaroo jumping in the moon. Like, I feel like the, get a the danger is like when you like someone sees that sticker. Yeah. The, and they read it and they say, "Oh, this means I need to do this. I need to go to Australia." The question of the secret message. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but, but could there be a secret message? <laughs> You know, you do have to be careful with that stuff, don't you? I I know. And I feel like most of the time there isn't. But that kind of like looking for that sometimes takes away how miraculous and special the thing itself was. So I feel like if you're always looking for a meaning or a reason, which I feel like there often is not a meaning or a reason to any fucking thing we do. (laughs) Sorry. Um... You know, then we're kind of like losing sight of like the experience of the thing itself. You know, this is it's funny that which this is the topic of one of my favorite Ashley Opera's foreign experiences. So the, our our protagonist Don gets a secret message hidden in the personal ads of the newspaper. It, 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 higher than eagles, he wanted to learn to fly, and he said that was for me. And he calls some weird dude that just starts. 
cursing at him on the phone and leaves his wife at a truck stop to go study with some weird shaman in the desert <laughs> who, who just like starts talking political bullshit at him or something like that like I mean that's an oversimplification of the plot but it's but it's actually like uh, but it like it's the same time as transcendent but it's like baffling you at every turn well, but like, like is it real is it not real what's going on here you know what I mean like a dream I had where I was like I had this dream where I was like kind of like getting into this like secret society uh-huh. and uh, they had this secret room the Holy of Holies and like you had to get to a certain level to get in this room and I like had to know what was in this room and I got all the way up to the level and I went in and it was uh, a fucking bathroom that had been turned into a gift shop <laughs> and my mother was naked in the tub <laughs> that's brilliant it was fucked <laughs> you finally oh discovered the mystery <laughs> the, the sacredest of mysteries make sure you buy a trinket <laughs> I feel like, like, like with our synchronicity with uh, the Bigfoot thing where we were, we've been talking about Bigfoot and reading about it a lot and then, like, that morning, we were listening to a podcast on Bigfoot. Uh-huh. And there was this car, this white car that pulled in front of us. And it's license and it's plate. And it's license said Yeti. <laughs> and then we were, like, laughing, and then it disappeared, just like a cryptid would. <laughs> and it's, and like, it's, like, it's not necessarily that, it's not like, meaningless, you told but, me that. Like, we, we don't yeah. believe that, like, oh, Bigfoot is sending us messages. It's right. just the thing itself. Yeah. Exactly. Like, so Bigfoot I, could exist yeah. or not, who cares? It's this thing happened. Well, it's you know. like you were saying with your uh, your the, the almost premonition dreams, where it's just like <laughs> the, the little trivial things. Like it's yeah. not necessarily supposed to, you know, it's not this or that. I'm trying to like blah blah blah. It's just the it's just the the connection. Well, you know what's funny is I had another thing in the city with that clothespin. Really? I found a big bronze clothespin in the Carlos Museum. Big bronze clothespin, like kind of like the one in my dream, but still, it didn't really matter. When Even were you in the Carlos Museum? During the show, we took uh, Jason and Tori. So okay. it was like I had that dream, and then I was like using a clothespin to like so, like thread something through one of the things I was making for the show. Uh-huh. And then we took Tori and Jason to the Carlos Museum, and I saw a big bronze clothespin. And so it was like, even so, it doesn't really matter. But I saw a big bronze clothespin in my dream. I was using a clothespin, and then there was a clothespin again. And it's like, it doesn't matter at all. But it's like, it's still. It's meaninglessness is but is like kind yeah. of an expression of like a certain kind of humor and a certain kind of play that exists in the universe. Right. And maybe it maybe it it it, it like um, it can coax you into a place of feeling like you're in a kind of relationality with things. It's like yeah, it's like a I don't know. You know, you rather than feeling alienated from you know, from con- being connected with the world or being connected with, yeah. you know. Well, it kind of makes me think of, like, you know when you, like, some part of you hurts and it's a part of you that you normally don't feel. Uh-huh. But, like, oh, now, like, the weird place in my, my back hurts. It's like suddenly that part of you becomes aware when normally it's just you. But now it's you and whatever the fuck this thing is in your back hurting. <laughs> and you now you're relating between you and this pain. Well, can we stop here for a second? Sure. I wanna, sure. I just wanna... This is a very special spot. Oh. Yeah, it feels... 
feel like I wanted to stop and just look at it for a second. Can we go down that yeah, way? Yeah. Like that. Like that. Yes. Right? I don't know what that was. Hayes always says this is kind of like a fair area. Like, I had no idea that was, like... Yeah, I had never discussed that with you. I know, and right? time we brought a camera out here and we were taking pictures so, and it broke. So what the fuck with that, huh? <laughs> it broke? Yeah, the camera broke while we were trying to take a picture. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll listen to the recording and there'll be like come yeah, some fun. weird static or buzz on it. <laughs> I guess it is important not to take it too seriously, though. Otherwise, you turn into a paranoiac. Yeah, I feel like there is a way to like take things like a little seriously, but not too seriously. But still be respectful, but like not be too serious. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was thinking of this documentary on John Cage by Peter Greenway. And Cage is talking about a diet that he went on, and he said, um, <laughs> he said, the doctor said, don't take the diet too seriously. And he says, what do you mean, don't take the diet too seriously? And he said, the doctor said, well, when you're with friends, you can have a potato. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> but still, I say don't take it too seriously. I'm going to fit into this river as an offering. If I had some ketchup, I'd leave that. Why? It just feels like it <laughs> <that> wants. <laughs> and I'm and I'm offering laughter. I sung your song here. Oh, really? Oh, that's beautiful. Let me see.
apologized, you know, different things while we were walking. Those were the claws of the great alligator god. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> a weird, like, kind of death, purgatory, rebirth sort of structure. Little uh, pale blue flowers. 
What do you mean there was no point? No. I kind of meant there was no point to me telling you that, but then also it kind of felt like there was no point to you know, that place. But Except that it was a place that I remember, a lot of other people remember. But, I, you know, I've been, I've been starting to, to really consider in earnest Oscar Wilde's assertion that all art is quite useless. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. I and mean, that it's supposed to, like, who, it's, okay, fine, there's no, but yeah, there is, you know, I mean, but it's not like, a, it's not a utility, there's no utility, but there's, but, but there's value, you know? I mean, like, but it's not, but, but not, well, I guess, yeah, it's not useful, but it's valuable. Yeah, it was a place. Maybe? Is that, is that the right way of saying it? Yeah. Maybe? place where its usefulness was now gone but it was but it was still valuable yeah it was still something to be treasured maybe yeah and you had to walk a long way to get to it it's so funny how that can really change an experience like you know if you have to take some kind of an arduous pilgrimage to <laughs> you know well, that reminds me of St. George Island um, where we went with Stephen's family uh, once on a vacation, and um, the island just felt hostile, and I had bad dreams every night. No one slept good. Stephen had bad dreams. I asked Stephen's family about it, and Stephen's mom had nightmares. And um, St. George's Island, you said? Yeah. It was right, Stephen, right? And um, I was like, what is going on with this place? And uh, I asked my friend, whom I talked to on Fridays, uh-huh. and they were like, oh, well, place doesn't like to be inhabited all the time. This is a place that wants to be isolated and sought out. So, it's like it was a place that you needed to have to swim across to or row across to to make a pilgrimage to. And because it was constantly inhabited, it's kind of the, the same thing as the subdivision with the log you said <laughs> yeah. right yeah I mean of course what's the difference between that and the retaining wall behind the Taco Bell right <laughs> right I mean, and why is the retaining wall behind the Taco Bell somehow have a, a seemingly positive well, mysterious and, the these, is, and these are more like I was very disturbed by that retaining wall as a child, <laughs> and I was very disturbed by those woods as a child and I was also afraid of the night as a child. Huh. And recently, I have come to love the night. Obviously, I'm still cautious because I'm a cautious person. But I've come to love the night and feel very comfortable with the night. Like it's an old friend with its arms around me. And Despite the fact that you can't see what lurks in the distance? Right. <laughs> but I feel very comfortable there now. I feel like a part of it. And I'm so still kind of scared of it. A lot of those things that used to disturb me about the woods, even though I always loved them, are now suddenly comforting. I feel like akin to those things. I feel like a part of them. And, uh, yeah. It's like going to an old friend. I'm fairly certain that as a child, this stretch of woods would have disturbed me. 
even out. It's so rich and refreshing and it feels like an old friend. many great hurdles in my mental health. Not to say I'm suddenly aligned. It's just an interesting shift. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I would come out here and just feel it, use it. And then it, I don't feel like it rejects that kind of attention. Yes, James, I've fallen off the tightrope. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I feel like... That, that, that one where you're, uh, you're not uh, acknowledging things as secret messages? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I feel like at a certain point you engage with the world and it feels kind of like you're selling it short or you're like not accepting all of it if you don't accept certain, if you don't acknowledge certain things about it that may seem Right. And yeah, I acknowledge that. But right. I I feel like well I was after I got away from being a Christian, I was very like I guess atheist, whatever. Um didn't really believe in anything. And that was like fine. It's not like I had to have something. But then like at a certain point engaging with the world. There were certain things in the world that made themselves. There's something out there <laughs> insinuating something. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, you know, but it is true. We have to be very careful of the, the, uh, the links to which our pattern, our pattern recognition software, maybe, you know, can can uh, manufacture. But maybe are we manufacturing, or do we re- actually recognize something? Like, <laughs> like we have well, to be careful. Yeah, like, it, and that's why, and that's why, you know, that one of the phrases that keeps popping up in my in my like operas and vo- vocal improvisations is uh, it's hard to tell, or sometimes it's hard to tell. So, ma- it's so maybe it's hard to tell. Like that's as a punctuation mark at the also, end of a whole thing. So maybe it's hard to tell. Also, does it matter? 
here's the thing is like you felt something in that forest back there right and but I, maybe it was just like the arrangement of the space like it looked it looked it presented itself in a way that aesthetically caused you to do that yeah you so, know what I mean but, like the, the but, way that the trees fell the way that the path the was shaped just. ah <laughs> but maybe it was constructed that way to do that I mean you know see I'm not sure I would go that far unless it was self-constructed but like isn't that what art is like it's like kind of constructing things in a way that are gonna like uh, connect with someone with an observer well, then that in a certain art is way definitely something expressed in nature and I guess the, the the chance like sometimes that emerges without you intending it to and maybe there's the surrealist connection with automatism Like, that thing is like... Like, who, yeah, what, like, who cares? If it's just... Maybe it's you just said like ju- You said just, too. There you go. I, well, I was <laughs> specifically saying that. Okay. Maybe it's just the arrangement of all this stuff. Uh-huh. But, like, maybe it's the arrangement of all of this. And, like, the matter itself is magical. Maybe it's just the matter being arranged in a particular way. But the matter itself is the thing that's... Thing that is like I don't think you need anything outside of the matter to make it better. like you don't need some fairy queen saying the tree must grow this way right because the risk is always that, that these kinds of thoughts devolve into superstition and then superstition leads to like unthinking acts of cruelty you know, like among those who can't, who who don't think as deeply about those that, questions, you know. But I think that, like, like, someone for whom the idea of a fairy queen can lead to unreasoning acts of cruelty is potentially the kind of person who would do those acts with or without the fairy queen. That's true, but they have, but but then they have the the tools of those, like we said, arrangements of like aesthetic space that can cause people to feel certain ways you know it's just it it's a, it can be it can be a risky territory for someone who because they're but powerful think, tools when you it, recognize them you know I think that it, feels it requires like. a certain amount of trust trust in yourself and trust in the universe you know like do you trust yourself to become unreasoningly cruel do you trust the universe not to lead you into unreasoning cruelty I just feel like I don't know. I feel like sometimes when I'm when I when I'm I feel like I've been unintentionally cruel sometimes, you know, especially when I'm in a headspace. I mean, I think everyone can be. I think maybe one of the maybe some of the ones people that are the worst at it are people that don't acknowledge that it happens to them. Sometimes, you know, I mean, everyone can be cruel, can't they? Yeah. I mean, sure, but like part of me wants to say so what? <laughs> like Obviously, I'm going to try not to be cruel. Obviously, I don't want to be cruel. But I also don't... I also don't want a stunted and limited engagement with the universe. That doesn't mean I'm going to go out and torture an animal because I want to engage with the universe in that way. I'm not going to do that. Right. But I just feel like you become so concerned with risk. Sometimes you just have to, like... I mean, you don't have to. You know? I really, I just don't feel like that. It's really money when you don't really feel like 
there's any right or wrong way to be, but I really don't. <laughs> it's like yeah no that's true if you want to protect yourself that's valid if you want to go fully engaged with the world that's valid too like I right. I don't know no I take your point but, like who who gets to who gets to say yeah and there can be just as much cruelty and reason as there can in unreason sometimes mm-hmm. Maybe it's a dialectic. Oh, was it in this, like, more recent Weird Study episodes where they were talking about... Um... That quote about after the Holocaust is... Oh, yeah, it was Adorno. He said that poetry after Auschwitz was barbarism. Yeah. If I, if, no, I, I'm not sure were, I'm saying that right. They went on to discuss how, like, there was an idea that art would make you a better person. Right, exactly right. But but, but then you have the, the, the Nazis u- using Beethoven's Ninth, you know, to propagandize their thing as much as anybody else. And Beethoven yeah. was supposed to be this liberatory figure, you know. So it's kind of like... I think there's some th- some thought paths that are more experimental. The risk is that you don't know where it's going to lead, and that's the real risk because you can't see the road ahead. See that trees grow in swampy regions, <laughs> and yeah. a lot of times they fall. But it's like if they hadn't tried to grow there, then they they would have just never. Or like, I don't know, it makes me think of when polar bears, like, they don't have any food. And they'll, like, they'll go swim. They'll just go swim out into the water. And they have no idea if they're going to get someplace that has food or not. But they have to take that risk. It's that will to live. To take, to do these dangerous things. In order to, like, seek out this life yeah and they may just die in the ocean exhausted but I don't know it's like I feel like there's something similar in this urge to like seek whatever this thing is you know like and it has to do with the will to live and I think that nature seeks in this manner too I feel like it's fundamental to the fact that anything exists at all. This desire to like go down these like dangerous paths. I don't know. I guess one wonders what to do with the axiom look before you leap in that situation because I think caution you can't, is you can't always look 
you know, with some of these things, the problem is you can't look necessarily. Yeah. And both are important. It's friends when you think you just you always come back to. And both are important. Right. I was just thinking that, the oscillation, you know? Yeah. I mean... Oscillation, is it... And then you have the risk of thinking, well, then is it just dangerous to just get stuck in one pole or the other? But then there's the oscillation oscillation between being on the pole and revolving from pole to pole too both of those are two sides of something it's about some people are stuck on the pole some people are <laughs> maybe both are important this is a question of musical composition and improvisation <laughs> arrangements of harmony and rhythm like and you. oscillation oh beautiful branches. This tree's branches grow away from this tree's branches to give this tree light. And they're self-organizing. This is a tree of dialectics. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's okay. <laughs> Which way do we come from? Oh, we go that way. Oh, it could just all be in my head just again. <laughs> but like at a certain point, it felt icky, intuitively ick, <laughs> to deny them an existence separate from myself. And so I feel like a lot of times, like that's what I'm following. Like mm. I'm not gonna hazard to say what things are or doctrinize them. But if I feel like it has suddenly become icky to deny the agency of things outside me, I just, I don't know, I don't enjoy not following that feeling. 
that makes sense. That makes sense. I don't think you have to, like, like, again, like, I don't think that, oh, you have to engage with the world in this specific way, like, but, people sometimes you feel like you can't trust yourself but then sometimes you follow your intuition and you have a feeling and you just know that this feels different this is a thing to be trusted like if you can't feel trust that then like what can you trust I guess <laughs> you don't have to trust anything science some would say you know. I think science is cool. I like it. I like stars and planets and microbes. I just happen to think they're really cool and maybe a little magical. <laughs> right. And I can't evolve into limitations of thought, too. 